This episode of the Hallowed Histories podcast is sponsored by Liberty Restaurant, American-inspired cuisine in the heart of the Norfolk Broads. Located in Wroxham and headed by acclaimed chef Jake Garwood, the food here really has to be tasted to be believed. Why not try the catfish beignet with incredible smoked pork belly? And now, today's episode. When wolves roamed eastern England around 800 years ago or so, they represented a real threat to our ancestors. The fear of the wolf, as we have seen, probably helped the myth of black shuck get started in these parts. However, a more practical consideration, how to kill the wolf that was killing livestock and often people, was also an issue. The residents of one Suffolk village used to dig a pit in the dark, soft earth a couple of metres deep. They would then cover this with loose branches, some brush, and the corpse of whatever farm animal could be spared. The wolf, scenting its prey, would attack, fall through the ground and into the pit. There the wolf's stay would get progressively worse, as the pit floor would either be lined with sharpened stakes, killing the wolf quickly, or the villagers would take it upon themselves to kill the beast with long spears thrust into the hole. We can only imagine the shrieks and howls of a dying wolf caught in one of these traps, and the slow, painful death it may have received as the result of spear point. However, it had to be done, and this is one of the few techniques that worked and could be done without much loss of life to a small village living under the threat of a wolf. Indeed, one village became so skilled at this method of killing beasts that they named themselves the Village of Wolf Pit. However, as the threat of the wolf passed and the people of East Anglia grew to fear the Vikings more than the animals, Wolf Pit forgot its own name and became Wool Pit. However, that wasn't the only thing that Wool Pit became known for, because in the 12th century, the wolf pits produced something a little different, a little more mysterious, and almost entirely inexplicable. My name is Richard Shepherd, and this is Hallowed Histories. Woolpit lies near the town of Bury St Edmunds, a place now known more for its brewing beer than anything else. But 800 years ago, it was a prosperous local hub for the small farming communities like Woolpit that surround it. The lives there would have been hard, yes, but not untenable. The soil was good and there was plenty of land to go around. So it was a bit of a surprise when news of two abandoned children was heard in Woolpit and Bury St Edmunds, and a greater surprise still when their descriptions were circulated. These two children, you see, were bright green. Now here we have to rely on more than legend and look to the sources of these extraordinary claims. Most of what we know about the green children of Woolpit, as they became known, is from two sources, both of whom were considered to be educated and reliable. The one we'll be looking at is from a monk, Brother Rafe from nearby Cogshall, who rose up through the ranks of his Cistercian order to become abbot. When he had retired due to ill health, he devoted the rest of his life to writing a history of England from the Norman conquest onwards. He was what we would now call an oral historian, collecting anecdotes and gossip and patching them together into a layered, detailed social history. Rafe got his information about the two children from a local nobleman, Sir Richard de Carne, who had a personal stake in the case. You see, when the villagers rejected the two children for their unusual appearance, it was Sir Richard de Carne who took them in and eventually heard their strange story. The two children, a boy and a girl, 
were found near the wolf pits around harvest time by a man who had been reaping crops in the field. Their clothes were described as unusual, and their language as absolute gibberish by those who heard it. There was enough resemblance between the two children to assume that they were brother and sister, but that was as far as the villagers could make out. In fear they summoned Sir Richard de Khan, who took the children into his home. There they sickened and weakened and would eat nothing, until one day, while exploring Sir Richard's gardens, they found a patch of broad beans. They fell on it, immediately digging the beans out of the earth and gorged themselves, eating them raw with their hands. After this, they began to adapt to their new life with greater or lesser success. The young boy, despite eating more, eventually grew listless and depressed and died. The girl, on the other hand, grew stronger and varied her diet of broad beans until she could eat with the rest of Sir Richard's family and the vivid green of her skin colour subdued. Now here the story might end, but it took on another strange twist as a girl not only adapted to life with Sir Richard, but also learnt English from him, in its hope of getting some kind of explanation for their bizarre appearance. When she was sufficiently conversant, the girl began to tell Sir Richard that she and her brother had come from a place where the sun never shone, that existed in a kind of permanent twilight. Now this was borne out by her lifelong aversion to bright lights and warm temperatures, in fact noticed by the farmers who had found them. She had seemed nervous and skittish emerging from the wolf pit into the sunlight, as if she had never seen the sun before. She went on to explain that the land they had come from was referred to as St. Martin's land, and here the green shoe of their skin seemed to infect everything. Everything was green, the people, the surroundings, the sky. The only thing that wasn't green was a beautiful bright foreign land that they could see on the other side of a large river. They had arrived in our world, if you want to see it that way, by following the sound of bells. This lured the two children away from their twilight verdant world into a cave. They couldn't find their way back home, and instead explored the cave until it came out upon the wolf pit where they were discovered. Now, whether the girl, who frustratingly goes unnamed in all accounts, was saddened by this inability to go home, where she claimed the rest of her family were waiting, remains unsaid. She certainly seemed to be out of place in our own world. She remained with Sir Richard for a while, as a servant, but was eventually let go to her due to her wildness and strangeness. After that, she disappears from history. Conflicting stories suggest that she married or simply vanished. There are a few specifics. The story, though, lived on and joined and mutated with those other East Anglian tales of lost children, like the famous Babes in the Woods or the enigmatic Wild Peter, whose story we'll be looking at soon. The people of Woolpit certainly remember, though, and a signpost that stands in the centre of the village features two children holding hands, walking towards the church of St. Mary's at the centre of the village. Both children are, of course, bright green, and mirrored by the silhouette of a wolf. Throughout the centuries, people have thought to find explanations for this odd story, with the children recast as fairy folk, alien visitors, the orphans of Dutch migrant workers, and everything else besides. Each faction of believers takes the details that reinforces their own belief system and holds it as their own. Those who think the children were aliens compare them to the mysterious black-eyed children of ufology, and their mysterious appearance a result of portals that connect universes. A renaissance and interest in fairies in the mid-19th century, a resurgence that eventually gave birth to Peter Pan, rehashed the story of the green children as ambassadors from a fairy realm, second cousin to the green knight who challenged Sir Gawain. Indeed, the colour green the symbols of the ringing bells, and most importantly a land that is similar but different to our own referred to as the other world or the Summerland, are all repeated motifs in the old and new stories about fairies. 
Now, historians who don't fancy the fairy world or outer space have cobbled together an explanation that involves the children being Dutch refugees from a nearby village, made homeless by pogroms against foreign workers. Oh, at first glance, it seems to hang together very well, but on inspection, it seems to fall apart. After all, Dutch was a well-known language around the area. Nobody would have mistaken it for gibberish, and nobody reported missing children from nearby villages. Most importantly, there are very few diseases or health conditions that turn people's skin green, let alone bright green as it was described. You see, sometimes the simplest explanation isn't the easiest, simply because there is no simple explanation. In fact, it's a good chance that the mystery of the green children of Woolpit would outlive any of the explanations used to explain it. Indeed, as we get further and further away in time from that day when the two children stumbled out of the killing pit and into the light, this is one story that gets further and further into that gulf between history, folklore, and mystery. The Hallowed Histories podcast was produced by Dr. Linda Shepherd and hosted by me, Richard Shepherd. Special thanks to the UEA for the use of their recording studio and their continued support. Please take the time to rate and review the Hallowed Histories podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you very much.